Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode number nine of the Create More podcast with me, Ben Stewart. On this fortnight's podcast, we have Chris Roma Lee from Studio Octopi. You may also know him, or Studio Octopi, as the founders of the Thames Baths schemes, which is a floating swimming pool in the Thames. Um, I was very fortunate to go to their studio and uh, sit down with Chris and over the course of an hour we talk about loads of stuff. Uh, I was really excited about getting uh, Chris on because well one Studio Octopi do amazing projects. Uh, They're a small practice of about uh, five people and they do some really really nice residential projects but more recently the things that have kind of caught my attention um, are a really nice amphitheatre they did uh, at Orchard House, sorry no Bradford college greek theater so on and uh, it's a just really really nice project and uh one that kind of caught my attention and then they also are doing a kind of competition entry for peckham lido um and then that all kind of leans on to the thames bath scheme that they're doing which uh has been on dz and it's been on all the architectural press and it's all about creating a floating swimming pool in the thames and the kind of project's really building up momentum and what's really really interesting is it's all been done so far uh, on crowdsourcing website Kickstarter. So kind of following on from a theme that uh, I interviewed with Alistair Parvin on WikiHouse, this idea of uh, giving kind of Instead of one person with a million pounds, this is a million people with one pound, this this idea that uh, people can fund projects, not big businesses. And so far, they've raised over £125,000. I think currently their Kickstarter campaign, their target was £125,000, but they've raised £140,000 plus now. So yeah, people are really excited about it. And so I got to ask him loads of questions that I wanted to know about. So how did the practice start? Uh, why Studio Octopi? You know what what kind of drove them to start practice in the first place? Uh, kind of what's been what's been fun? What's been kind of more challenging? And then why why start the Thames Baths scheme? You know all about social media and Twitter and you know how Twitter's good, how how Twitter's helped them. Uh, also, and then Kickstarter campaigns and and that whole aspect of it, which is something that really really interests me as well, and something I, I definitely want to kind of find out more about which we talk about so yeah over the course of an hour uh we're i should point out that we're in his studio uh which was brilliant it's a quite small studio but um yeah the thing i need to point out is one it's uh, right next door to an enormous construction site they're building a, an, i think a residential office scheme right next door which is uh, which is in full construction so uh, apologies for the loud banging and reversing lorries. They're, they're in there somewhere, you know, you can hear them in the background. Uh, and then also, uh, we did the interview really early, so it was about 8.30 in the morning. And um, uh, when I arrived, the office was empty, but then uh, about quarter to nine, nine o'clock, people started arriving, and the front door is also the entrance door into the meeting room that we were having a meeting. So um, if... 
and when you listen to the podcast and you hear uh, people walking in, you know, I acknowledge them. It's fine. We're in a live working studio. So, you know, it had a bit of excitement, a bit of a buzz because uh, behind him, as I was doing the interview, I could just see the office moving and uh, kind of picking up and people, you know, working on the computer screen. So if you hear people out to the phone and stuff in the background, it's uh, just think of it as a kind of really in-depth live interview. So, um, yeah, it's not total audio perfection, but uh, gives you a real sense of being a studio. So this uh, this is the penultimate interview of series one. So I really hope you enjoy it and tune in to the end to find out. Well, I've already said, but if you can't remember, tune in to the end to, to find out a bit more about the interview and also who's on the final podcast of series one. Thank you so much and I hope you enjoy it. Bye. These people coming through the drawer about nine, so that's okay. I, I will just just chat around it. Okay, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, it's a life as a studio. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, we'll just start recording now. So I'm here with uh, Chris Romilly from Studio Octopi. So thank you very much. I, um, I guess we'll just carry on exactly how we were talking before. Yeah. But um, uh, what I want to I want to kind of structure this in two parts because there's kind of two ways that I know you, which is one through Studio Octopi. And then the other one is kind of what you've got pictures of behind me, which is the Thames Bath. So um, I want to find out how Studio Octopi started uh, for the first half. And then the second half, I really want to find out way more about Kickstarter campaigns and crowdsourcing and Thames Bath. And, uh, All which, our secrets, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So if you could just tell me everything, how to do everything, that'd be great. <laughs> so um, we're currently... Why don't you explain where we are then to people who don't know? Okay, we're in our, our office in uh, Burroughs Mews, um, just off the cut in Waterloo. And we're in our meeting room, which is kind of a corridor yeah, uh, to the studio. So I should let people know that people will be coming in and out. But oh, that's, loads of people. Yeah, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of stuff. So how, how long? Well, just to someone who doesn't know anything about Studio Octopi, how, how like when did you first start? Um, we started about um, eleven years ago, and it started off as a, um, one of those uh, multidisciplinary practices, which were very fashionable at that time. Um, we were doing website design, um, interiors someone's conservatory I seem to remember struggling with as well before we got um, sacked uh, and an extension and um, out of all of those I think uh, the extension was probably the one job which stuck around for, for longer than a few months but we, we suddenly needed a name and um, many handed many skilled octopus octopi nice. came to mind and um, it stuck and then we added the studio on I don't know, five, six years ago. I'm curious, so, because uh, I was talking to uh, Ken Shuttleworth about Make, and he was explaining why he chose a name that wasn't the people who yeah. run its name. What was what was your decision behind that? Uh, low Romalese, all a bit of a mouthful, really. <laughs> L-R-L, R-L-L-L. Sounds a bit R-N-L-I to me. But uh, um, So I, I think it was quite a um, conscious decision just to move away from that. It's more about the people in the practice than necessarily the two of us as founders. And you... So you were doing everything. So what you and sorry, what was the other part? James. James. Right. So yeah. you and James were doing websites, all that type of stuff yourself. Yeah, we were we were doing it in between working. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I had a mission to start up the practice. Um, we just had to find the work, um, and then uh, we got the work, and then I started it. James came in, um, uh, sort of, you know, fairly soon after that, six months after that, um, and then the things just snowballed. And where so. 
Did you work at another practice before you had any? Yeah, I'd worked for a series of small practices and, and thought, um, I must be able to do this better than this. <laughs> uh, yeah. And looking back, uh, I think probably we're all much the same, really. So did, did you, you obviously saw things that could be improved? And I then did. now yeah, you've I, run a practice, do you look back and go, that's... Actually, they didn't do a bad job at all, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's, um, it's hard. I say it's no, there's no, uh, it's hard, but it's great fun. I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm. Um, but dealing with the, uh, the day to day tasks, as well as all the stuff which happens on site. Yeah. Admin stuff. Clients and whatever. Um, it's hard, but then, you know, no day is the same. Yeah. Uh, I did a short stint at Foster's many years ago and I couldn't believe that every single day was exactly the same sitting in front of a screen doing AutoCAD, mm. no Photoshop no surfing the internet I'm familiar with the feeling (laughs) well as we were saying before I think um, part of the fun about doing the podcast was getting to see all these other Mm. studios like I was saying because exactly like you said at Foster's it's kind of it's so easy without even realising I guess with minimal effort from your own part you just kind of fall into CAD work yeah and and I think it suits some people Um, Mm. um, I I personally the staff we employ I I quite like the fact that they do a a whole series of different skills they have um, Photoshop they have 3D studio um, they have interests outside the outside the studio it's really key uh, I didn't necessarily feel that when I worked in big practices yeah. I felt that it was um, you were just a tiny cog in this huge engine yeah. um, and if you needed something else done other than AutoCAD there was always someone else to do it um, so I hope that we've um, you know we're, uh, I guess when we're a practice of 300 maybe I'll uh, follow more <laughs> into the, the foster approach so how many people I'm just trying to look around well obviously I can see in the back you've got this great like panoramic view of your office is there what 10 there are uh, five of us at the moment we could we can seat about 10 yeah um, we've just about to employ two more so we're, we're a healthy number we keep it pretty tight yeah um, and I think um, that's a good place good way to be I mean it makes it harder work for everyone but um, I don't. We've we've had sort of baggy studios in the in the past. Apart from pouring the profits down the drain, yeah. um, people with nothing to do is never a good thing, or, or desperately scrapping around for a competition to do. So we we keep it pretty tight, and we choose um, competitions to do it, it kind of in advance and structure our work around that. Um, and um, we've got we've got quite a lot on. And at the moment, we're lucky enough to be able to take on work which we want to do mm. as opposed to take on everything that comes our way. That, that which, must be the dream scenario at the moment. Which is the dream scenario. And then there's, that's an argument for keeping it quite tight as yeah. well. Um, Cause I'm, I mean, do you, do you rent this office space or do you, do you, own you it? actually own it? We bought it. Mm. Uh, Savvy move. Four or five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it might convert to residential one day. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So there are people coming in and out of our, oh, ah. it's, my, it's my business partner, James. Ah, morning, James. Morning. Morning. Live. <laughs> going live to yeah. the nation <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah coming in here because I was obviously looking at Google Maps to try and work out where you were yeah. not so much construction work now tons outside yeah, so this... no, it's, it's, it's an area which has changed enormously um, I think since Palestra was completed on the corner yeah. um, we've now got um, Southwark College rebuilt um, we have what else is happening around here um, I mean the cut itself has become a, 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 I was going to say a little village it's become a high street mm. uh, um, beforehand it was it had a handful of local shops yeah it's um, amazing unfortunately the chains have invaded as they do but 
um, it's created a, a really a good nice sense of community actually um, around the around the young vic as well and do you get have you found you've got more work by being a local architect in this area or do you um, actually get that much work yeah we we have we, we have some some quite random drop-ins really uh, you do get drop-ins yeah do you? yeah um, i think it's part of having a ground floor studio with models in the window um so we do get some quite some curious curious drop-ins um so we're doing a bit of work for baltic restaurant at the end here which is our neighbor um and we've had other clients just around the corner so um i quite like the fact i always wanted to be on a high street anyway so this yeah. is probably as close as we're going to get i like I f- the idea of, of, of an architect being a shop as opposed to a yeah well i, f- I find that um stupid cable there you go hang on all right come on so because i quite like the fact that um you've i like you can see in mm. i think that makes a big difference i think um i think that it helps. I guess, do you, is it, do you ever worry about security? I'm um, generally asking a race. Yeah, no, I was hoping I would touch the table here, but it, it kind of, uh, when we moved in, we were a bit concerned. We had plans for these monstrous um, steel bars to go up everywhere. Yeah. Um, but actually, with the restaurant at the end, it opened until you know, two in the morning. Oh, really? Uh, there's always people coming and going. And then um, at the beginning and the end of the day, it's, there's a really nice exchange. So all the people who live on the um, the, the flats above us, yeah. And all the way down the street, you see them all going off to work as we arrive. And at the end of the day, it's reversible again. Yeah, it's so nice. It is a little, uh, little micro city down here. Of, of, and it, it works well. So it's a good example of, of sort of mixed use. Because one of my friends, um, he works uh, just in Vauxhall, but it kind of, he's done a very similar, his boss has done a very similar thing. He's kind of bought the ground floor. Right. I guess it was originally for a cafe or something, yeah. but no one had used it. And now Vo- he bought it what, six years ago or five years ago, and now Vauxhall's exploding. Yeah. Savvy business move, I think, if you yeah, can uh, yeah, yeah. own no, the property. Well, I, I agree. I mean, we we, um, we had this mission to, to do this. Um, took us five years or so to get ourselves into a position to be able to do it, but it was cheaper than paying rent on, on Southwark Street, where we were it's originally. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so, and who knows, hopefully this has gone up in value. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly right with the uh, stupid house prices but yeah, you know yeah. help some people <laughs> so so you and james when you first started was it just you two or was, did, did yeah. you always did you straight away get people to um, come in no it was us for for a fair amount of time i'm trying to remember who our first employee was um and then we were uh, in my living room or the, the the room behind the living room at home and then uh, my first child arrived so we thought it probably a good time to leave <laughs> yeah um and we ended up in a uh, um, even smaller room on southwark street and i think we had our first employee there that, that room sat four so it was pretty tight no meeting room uh well the meeting room was behind the back of the chairs um and uh yeah we, we went from there really so it's kind of a very very steady growth over the years which i've kind of kind of liked yeah you know. i know it sounds not naive or silly but was it quite exciting getting your first staff member because obviously you and james oh, you're massively like exciting. you're like yeah, yeah. it's just you're still friends you know yeah. but then that's official once you've got yeah. your first staff oh, i feel member. slightly embarrassed i can't remember who it is so um <laughs> if they're out there maybe they can get in touch um but uh yeah i see i seem to remember we did have someone quite early on who uh said to us um, they'd been working for us about two or three weeks and, and, and they questioned why they were having to build the wardrobes to the level of detail they had to build them in the model um, and uh, they went out of the door fairly quick <laughs> um, but that was the kind of reality check it's like okay it's not going to be it's not yeah. easy having uh, employees well especially because you're so passionate you started your own practice mm. you're so busy that you just have to get another person in and that person's like 
right, well, that's just, just another just job. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you're yeah, like, exactly. no, no, this is this is my thing. This, this, this is, is everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of how do you find how do you find like motivating people? Because I was I was just kind of working with a kind of bit of my own team as well. Mm. I've just suddenly you realise you have to motivate them, keep the interest, in, yeah. you know, keep their yeah. kind of energy up, and I've just it's a whole other skill set. Um, right? I, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I have a relatively positive outlook. I do I enjoy um, having a laugh about things, so it's not things aren't uh, taken too seriously, which I think um, I can remember a number of practices where things are taken too seriously. Um, but also, I think um, we're very lucky to have the jobs we've got in over the years. Um, on the whole, certainly in, in the last five years or so, have been of interesting enough quality mm. for people to be fully engaged with. And yes, there's some, some crap times doing those jobs. There yeah. always are. Um, doesn't matter how nice the job is. There are some bad bits too. But uh, they're jobs which perhaps um, you wouldn't necessarily have a chance of doing every day. It's not just another residential extension. Yeah. And if it is, it's pushed to a different level. So I think um, it comes back to my, my point that, um, you know, we've, we've touched wood, we've always been lucky enough to take on the work which we want to take on as opposed to have to take on for, yeah. for financial reasons. So uh, we always look for what there is to get out of the job. Yeah. Um, I mean, on your website, you, you've got a really nice spread of projects. It yeah. doesn't seem like you've gone, you know, like hundreds of extensions, a few concept things you've worked on. You've got uh, like quite, have you, ha, did you... Were you very conscious of your first projects? Um, this we is Studio were. Octopi, we want to define who we are, or were you just like, we'll, we'll just take whatever? <laughs> um, no, I, I think I think uh, underlying a lot of our approach is that we want to build things. Mm. Um, we don't want to do a whole series of planning applications or, or competition entries. Yeah. Um, James's background um, with Simon Conda um, was very much about nuts and bolts, getting things built. Yeah. And I think we've carried that on through all our projects so again we just you know planning applications come you know will you do a planning application for for an extension for us no we'll do the whole job or we won't do it at all because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really do anything for the practice yeah, yeah. okay it, it, it pays someone's salary for for a month but yeah so we've always pushed to to, to building things out um and um that's been painful at times because some of the work um doesn't follow the normal routes um, mm. and therefore uh, it's not always profitable but in the longer game yeah uh, we think it's 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 worth it and I think yeah well it's interesting you say that I, I think that the body of work now is beginning to reflect that approach yeah, I do um, and it, and it's beginning to open up other doors which otherwise would never well mine may not have opened up um, and we began out, crucially, we began to be able to move away from the private residential stuff, which yeah. is is great for the first um, couple of years, I suppose. And then you begin to go, oh, God, another kitchen tap, uh, <laughs> another client who's not happy with uh, the door handles on their kitchen. I'm so glad you said that because um, I've got a friend who does private residential and I was on Broadgate. And he was like, oh, I wish I worked on big commercial projects. Yeah. And I was like, what? I wish I worked on small residential. He's like, you, you, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I can't remember what it was. Something like a couple, the wife changed their mind. Yeah. And he just had to redesign the whole thing. Yeah. Just, yeah. just for no yeah, reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it will be fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think, but I think getting away from that residential stuff was, was key. Mm. And we've also, uh, um, before Octopi, both of us had worked through recessions and seen uh, a practice go from, you know, 20 strong to five in in a few weeks because of you know the housing sector collapsing or the yeah. 
cultural sector collapsing and the practice had all been based around being uh, a housing specialism or whatever um and i just thought god we just don't want to fall into that trap yeah. if at all possible um so we we have continually sought out cultural projects um well you know the thames baths is gets come along in various ways um the theater the arts foundation at delphina um and these things have come our way but we've also fought to to get them yeah. and to to win them in certain sense of delphina um and um it's beneficial because it just continues broadens your approach um, i always remember going to um we did the creative director of Saatchi and Saatchi's house in Clapham, just wow. another another side return and um, extension and, and and a very nice fit out inside. It was it was um, it was a fun job, but the job didn't go particularly well because the builder decided that he had more important projects to to be completing. Uh, however, we managed to um, stay friends with them and sort of three quarters of the way through the job, which should have been a you know, eight month build turned into whatever it was, 12 month build or something ridiculous mm, nightmare. he said um yeah you know we're, we're uh, thinking of doing our reception would you would you be interested at work and i was like yeah i can I, I'll, I'll be over in 10 minutes <laughs> yeah and that was the opening but you know and again we had, we still had to pitch for it and we were pitching against other practices who who do commercial fit out mm. um and they said to us in, in the pitch um you know we were interested in what you've proposed um, but why are you suitable for this if you've never done commercial practice, uh, commercial fit out before? And we just well, we'd approach it the same way as we approach the residential and the same attention to detail. I don't see any difference in how how we would approach it. Yeah. And they said, fine, you got the job. But you know, if you if you're going to do that, then let's let's see it in action. And and we did it. I mean, it was not easy. Yeah. Because I was uh, I um. I was talking to someone, I was on a flight and he was. He started asking, to, you know, chatty person on the flight. He was a business development manager and I okay. told him I'm an architect. And yeah. he was like, do you know what? I've tried to work with architects and they never have a five-year plan. And <sighs> I think I was trying to argue the case. And I, I, obviously there's, an, there's a background idea of mm. what you want to grow. But just like you said, you can't predict that you'll get a job no. through that job. No. And you have to be quite light on your feet, which I guess helps by yeah. having quite a um, tight practice yeah, as an yeah. incise. You can... Yeah move and pick up work yeah 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 and i think i think that's that's true i mean I, our five-year plan um I, I guess looking back we probably did have one at first it was to survive the first three years and something like 70 percent of businesses that survive the first three years go on to for 10 plus years so that was our first objective just to <laughs> just get, survive just to survive um and then it was not to get stuck in a rut in terms of one sector mm. um, which we've achieved um, and I think now it is about consolidating what we've done and picking out larger projects within each mm. of the sectors um, and to a certain extent our uh, our watery projects uh, the water sector our, yeah. um, I don't know we haven't decided what we're calling that um, the water project sector, that yeah. uh, has, has, has sort of done that um, but we never predicted that we were going to go down that route yeah. as opposed to down theatres or or yeah I mean doing an outdoor amphitheatre was was kind of well yeah I mean before we get onto Thames Park yeah. I do love that project but uh I'm trying to someone asked me like what's the theme running through your podcast and mm -hmm. uh I realized that the architecture practices that I've interviewed so I've interviewed Assemble Studios mm -hmm. uh Studio Weave uh I went to Jason Bruges office as well uh, but they're all the reason that I liked a lot of your projects was the amphitheatre was a perfect one. I was trying to work out what is it about these projects that I really like. And it was uh, Assemble Studios' is, uh, it's outdoor cinemas and pop-up cinemas and stuff. Yep. And I think it was this idea of 
open architecture for everyone. You know, mm. anyone can go. And I loved the photos because it was hundreds of people swarming yeah. over the amphitheater. Yeah. And it was the same with the Assemble Studios Cinema and the studio we want. I think I'd got so kind of, not bored, but you just see these grand pictures with no one in of like mm. fantastic mm. architecture that maybe, especially houses, maybe three people will experience. Yeah. And I guess it's this, I love the amphitheater one. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I think it's... Um, why don't you explain what that is to people who don't know? Yeah, it's a, it's, um, a Victorian um, amphitheatre based around Epidaurus. Um, I, I, when I say based around Epidaurus, I think very, very lightly based around Epidaurus <laughs> or someone um, hadn't actually been to Epidaurus or indeed seen a drawing of Epidaurus but had heard about it. What, so what is Epidaurus? Epidaurus is, is the uh, largest Greek amphitheatre, the most famous ah, okay, um, amphitheatre. Um and so, yeah, like like yourself, you've, you know, now you've heard about it. You go and design a, a, a Victorian version of it. So the, the 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 rake of the seating was wrong. Uh, it had appalling acoustics, or has appalling acoustics. Um, um, it, it didn't didn't seat nearly as many people as Epidaurus. It, it missed so many of the principles of yeah. of what. Uh, oh, this Greek, is the Greek original one. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, Bradfield yeah, trying to copy yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but uh, it's just wonderfully charming in its own british or english eccentric landscape um sort of uh, you know uh, notion of theater and 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 the outdoors and folly and all of that and we kind of got into that slightly um less serious side of it um there was nothing we were going to be able to do about the acoustics with the budget short of breaking out all the seats and recasting them at a steeper rate so you had we had to embrace the fact that the sight lines are terrible the acoustics are terrible when you say sight lines that because it's so low that everyone's yeah the, the, just the rake of the seating isn't steep enough so <laughs> it uh, seems like such a fundamental i know thing you have right? a load of people sitting at the front the people halfway up can't see the stage um <laughs> or the, the, the the orchestra in the middle the circular section so um um so again it kind of came came back to working with what we got we had a tight budget um, we had to um, see off a bit of competition in the beginning to see off a, a project manager with a, with an architect, um, which was quite satisfactory. Yeah. Um, we 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 won it simply because we were the um, first of um, three practices, I think, who who tried to refurbish it and had failed to work out how to um, improve the access to it. So it's in an old quarry, wow. um, gravel quarry. Um, in the heart of a private school just outside Reading. Um, and um, so to get down into it, it's incredibly steep. The original uh, access was um, literally um, sheer steps down onto the, the circular terracing around around the theatre, so which didn't meet any building regs or anything like that. So <laughs> Wow, they, they really didn't give any thought to this theatre before. They no, they gave no thought to it at all. <laughs> there was a there's an access road down, which was somewhat more uh, appealing, but then going down the access road, you still had to come up over the, over the sort of the half of the circle of the, of the, of the theatre to get onto the tiered seating. Um, so we, we reconsidered all of that and, and reintroduced the grand staircase um, with a, a kind of, piazza at the top hmm. um an agora to use the uh, correct term um so you have a meeting place at the top which it never had before it used to come in from all different doorways and just straight off the road or off the path um and then down the grand staircase and then we introduced a circular walkway around the top so we lost the top two tiers of seating and cast them into a into a walkway which then um connected up with the existing steps cutting into the into nice. the tiered seating, so um, 
I think our experience of working with existing buildings and structures was um, really important there because um, we were dealing with a um, some Victorian concrete which um, was only 100 mil thick, so it was on the move and, and probably still is on the move down down the into the quarry. Um, so the collar, the, the concrete collar, the walkway around the top um, was designed to, to try and hold the whole theatre within the quarry to stop it continually to slip. Down, down so the hill. badly built, isn't it? <laughs> Terribly built. Um, and um, so, did you have like structural engineers that did trial pits to find out how deep all yeah, the original things yeah, were? Yeah, we did you were like, core drills for it. And we were sorry, like, uh, did you say hundred mil? <laughs> so it's hundred mil that's sitting on some some old soil and bits of gravel, and they're like, "Yep." Um, so, um, I, I think it was. I mean, to be honest, it was very simple gestures, and I think some of the other practices you've mentioned again, it's often just very simple gestures, yeah. um, and and it is actually when the when the space is empty there's not an awful lot to it you can see something's happened but yeah. and then the thing fills up the sun goes down the lights come on and it's spectacular i mean it's exactly like regent's regent's park theater oh, yeah, um, yeah. and that was a big influence on us or um, with tompkins um, scheme there was was a big influence um, i think what's more spectacular about this is it's sunk in the ground with mature trees running around it so you have an, an enormous oculus over your head um, and the photos were just on the most beautiful evening as well. Yeah, um, I think, I think as it, well, the, the images are so arresting on the yeah. website as well. You're like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, and it really is like that. You know, it's so easy to lie with architectural photography, yeah. but actually, it really is like that. Um, and um, yeah, it's just it's an amazing setting. So again, we were blessed with yeah. an amazing setting, an extraordinary project, um, and then a very tight budget. So yeah. there's an awful lot of galvanized metal work. Um, and a lot of landscaping, really. I, mean, I think that's... Um, Another employee arriving. Good morning, yeah. Ursula. Morning. <laughs> so, because um, I, I went through, like, a list of all my, like, the one pro- the, three, the three projects we're going to talk about. So there was, um, there was the amphitheatre. And then you've also got a concept screen for Lido. I, saw, I just saw, like, concept sketches. Yes. Uh, all of these images. Uh, this, this is it. Up here, Peckham Rye Lido. Um, and we won that in a uh, competition recently. It was, um, there's a couple of local guys from Peckham who are into swimming, and they thought, well, um, why? Whatever happened to the Lido on the Rye? Yeah. Um, and it was filled in in '86, and um, or closed in '86, and then demolished soon after. And there were just two mounds of rubble left in this right. uh, clearing uh, at the um, southern end, I think it is, of, of the Rye. Um, and um, it's just gone nine o'clock. That's good. Another employee. Simon's in on time. Uh, <laughs> um, so we we um, we won that competition, um, and um, is that all right? Sorry, the yeah, microphone's on the move. There you go. There, there you go. go. Um, and we won that competition really on the back of the Thames Bath project. I know yeah. you're, you're holding off talking about that for the moment. I'm trying desperately. I want to talk about so much of it. Um, but it's a really exciting project. Um, the image on the wall there hasn't been released to the public, so uh, that will be going out with a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, wow. Um, hopefully before the end of the year. Um, Another crowdfunding campaign? Yeah, and I think we, we're, we're less involved in the crowdfunding, although we have been encouraging the client to do that route mm. so that we can progress the design. Um, they've got a lot of um, great support from the community have done an amazing job in getting political support and, and local business support um, so it, it is strangely similar to Thames Baths apart from we're, we're one step back this time and it's quite enjoying being back into the architect role as yeah. opposed to the client and architect and developer role yeah that's I mean 
this doesn't segue very nicely onto the Thames Bath, <laughs> but um, uh, okay, let's just talk about the Thames Bath. Yeah, so, okay. uh, okay. your I just want to go right back to the beginning. Yeah. So, your you did a. Why don't you explain how it very first started? Because I want to know how it got into. Was it originally a crowdsourced thing, or did was it? No, just a no, no. It was originally um, uh, an open call by the Royal Academy and Architecture Foundation and uh, Rogers Sturck Harvard Harbour. Um, for in connection with uh, Richard Rogers' exhibition at the Royal Academy. Okay. So um, I think every year the Royal Academy do a, a sort of mini competition or an open call. Um, and I saw a tweet, uh, well, I think I even received a tweet from, from Moira at the Architecture Foundation um, saying, why doesn't Studio Octopi um, enter this? See if you can become one of the five practices chosen. And I was in um, Zurich at the time swimming in the lake there and the lake um and and the limat the river which runs through zurich um run the lake runs right up to the edge of the city um so you can you can literally walk from the city to the edge of the lake and then there are various swimming facilities all along the edge of the lake it's amazing isn't it one suitable for for young couples one suitable for kids one suitable for men only blah 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 um and um i was just completely taken by uh, the proximity, the the use of space, and of course, being the Swiss, it's absolutely perfect. You yeah. walk into these swimming enclosures, and the grass is absolutely spot on, perfect. Changing rooms are beautiful. All, a lot of them, I think, were designed in the 1930s, but there are older ones going back to 1800s, um, floating ones on the river. So um, I just I literally just looked up and went why are we not swimming in the Thames? This yeah. is amazing. And here's my opportunity to pursue it. It was really quite weird. It doesn't happen all the time like this. That's and, amazing. Um, so um, I didn't really think more about it on that holiday. I just thought uh, I must get back and do it. And I got back to London and started digging around and found that there was um, an enormous history of swimming in the Thames, which yeah. I'd never engaged with at all. Um, I got in touch with Caitlin Davis, who's just written a book called Downstream, A History of and Celebration of Swimming in the Thames. And we met, she was about three quarters of the way of writing the, uh, writing the book. And she just said, listen to this and just downloaded a whole load of stories about um, endurance swims. Um, of course, in, in, you know, uh, up until the Wash Houses Act in the uh, late 1800s, I yeah. think it was, um, this, the Thames is the only place to swim in London. I mean, you could you could swim in other rivers, but I mean, there were no indoor swimming pools, there were no outdoor swimming pools. You, you swam in the Thames. That's that amazing, was that yeah. was the place to do it if you wanted to go swimming, or you went to the coast. Um, so, the, so the stories are amazing. Uh, up until about uh, well, up until 1957, when the river was declared biologically dead. <laughs> and, I love that. What a great description of it. No, yeah. biologically dead. And, um, and and people were just like, it's a poisonous waterway. Mm. And I think. Um, to a certain extent, our generation, I'm, I'm 43, I was brought up on uh, in South London near the river and we used to walk a lot by the river as kids. Um, and I remember my parents saying to me, don't touch anything on the shoreline, don't pick up sticks, you know, it's poisonous. Really? If you fall in there, you get a stomach pump, you know, you'll be swept away, it's poisonous, you'll die from the water, all of this. And we just brought up with the idea that the river is poisonous, don't go near it. And I never really solid scaremongery from your parents there, isn't it? Well, I think yeah. I think to a certain extent they were right. They were brought up in that period of when it was at its worst. Yeah. Um, Luckily, it has actually only got better from that that, uh, scaremongering. But um, I think in those days, I think stomach pumps did happen. I don't think it was a myth. I think if you fell in there, 
I've got to say, I think... Um, uh, so I love the Thames. Obviously, this one. Well, yeah. The reason I kind of love that was because I did my dissertation on. I, I my sixth year project was increasing Tower Pier, but making it okay. like half a kilometre long uh. with little not bathing pools, but like basically bridges that drooped in the water but they were tucked on because Tower Beach was this amazing oh, yes, that's because yeah, yeah. I, I had yeah. a very similar thing I was like why can't you get to the river it's impossible yeah. and then I found out more about the um, the uh, dirtier side of the Thames because yeah, yeah. we did uh, we did some rowing for like a charity where you row up the river up to Tower Bridge back from like um, Canary Wharf Okay. and one of the days it just hammered it down with rain so badly that I, unbeknown to me that all the sewage just yeah. overflows back in yeah, and yeah. we were told we couldn't row it wasn't raining yeah. but you couldn't row and we were like why not he's like we'll just look in the water and because we were on the outside edge of a big bend it it was absolutely vile yeah, so I guess yeah. when I first heard about it I was like how are you going to be able to actually swim in mm. Thames water but yeah. you've kind of so the original plan was so the original vision um which is the one up on the top left there, which was set at Blackfriars Bridge with a oh, yeah. fl- floating pool with reeds and rushes at the lower level and then a kind of rock pool at the higher level, um, was a vision for the Thames, which was part of the open call scenario. You know, what's, what's the Thames going to be like in 10, 15 years' mm. time? So our vision was post-super sewer, good or bad, it's going yeah. ahead. Um, the water will be cleaner and would it perhaps be clean enough to swim in yeah. like um, so many rivers are? So that was our proposal there. It was all about creating safe havens for swimming in rather than um, anything we're looking at now. Um, and I think when we presented that, we presented that at the Royal Academy uh, almost exactly two years ago, I think two years and three days ago. Wow. Um, and um, I, think I, I think I had flu or something. It was a terrible presentation in front of a, a moving <laughs> crowd. It's one of those ones where people sort of get up and walk out halfway through and it's kind of, that on top of the flu I mean, it was just all over the place but I finished it and I was so relieved to have finished it um, and then people just kept coming up to me going but why aren't we doing this it seems ridiculous This is, mm. I swim in the serpentine every day the serpentine is just as dirty as the Thames it would be fine yeah. I'm an outdoor swimmer and people going but this would just be amazing my kids would love it and we were suddenly like struck with this thing of maybe actually they're onto something yeah. <laughs> you know, we really liked it but it come as with architecture, you were working so closely with it for a month. Yeah. We kind of just, you know, just thought, okay, the mission is to complete the visual. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Get exactly. out the other yeah. side. Um, so I, I then um, managed to get it in the Evening Standard. Um, how do you, you get a project in the Evening Standard? Uh, persistence. Persistence. Yeah. Please put my project in the Evening Standard. Please. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I used um, some contacts through um, people we talked to about getting our um, homes in, into into the homes and what's it called homes and something I don't know the homes thing on Friday oh, yeah, on yeah. Wednesdays um, and she uh, she said you should speak to the health correspondent who I know spoke to him um, and I think that was probably actually the first time I realised that this thing had proper legs because um, suddenly the health correspondent of the Evening Standard was writing an article on an architectural project which actually ticked boxes in, in, in the health side of it as well because it was kind of about the health of the river, the health of people well-being in, in the city um, and I think without realising again that was another sign that actually this thing mm. ticked a lot of boxes um, so I got it in there and then, and then we just started receiving emails and calls from people going what are you doing about it when's it happening um, and we're like well it's just a competition blah 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 so we worked, we spent a bit of time working it up a little bit further I then got introduced to or, uh, someone uh, a guy from an ad agency contacted me and we met him for a coffee 
and we got on well and he said look i'm just gonna i just want to help you do the strategy side of it wow. you know how, how are we going to move this forward and we've worked a lot with ad agencies in the past doing their fit outs and i've always really enjoyed working with those those people i think the, the industries uh, although financially are very different um there are a lot of parallels in the way they're structured yeah um and they always seem to like the fact that architects do everything as opposed to them where they all splinter them up into yeah. various sectors or various sort of roles um so he came on board and um uh, helped us um sort of pull together what we were trying to do um we then got to the second image which was a uh, the floating pontoon off temple off, off uh, victoria embankment mm. um which began to address the 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 issue of the water quality so he's se- separated the the river from the pools I and guess that, people's initial concern was like, I don't want to swim in the Thames, it's yeah. disgusting. And you're like, well, yeah. no, it's not just... Well, you'd be amazed that actually, how many people actually just said, just threw caution to the wind going, I, I just think it'd be such an amazing thing, I would do the risk. And they were like, well, you know, you, you can't swim in the Thames if two millimetres of rain falls because of the amount of sewage tipped into it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They're like, yeah, 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 but it doesn't rain all the time, so we could still do it. And I was like, Pfft. but it... Yeah, we had to do the second image because we had to address the issue of, of, of separating the two so mm. that the thing could obviously be used. So we did that. And then and then the conversation of Kickstarter came up and um, and, and about getting some funding together. Because typically, if, if, if crowdsourcing didn't exist, what just out of curiosity, what at that stage, how, how, would you have gone to developers or, or who, who, um, how, do you, how do you fund a project right at the beginning? Well, I, th- I think we would have probably done um, what we're doing now, which is... Um, knocking on people's doors um, and talking to, to um, I don't know, entrepreneurs, I guess. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we, the, the, so the crowdfunding basically managed to set us up with a uh, hundred and, well, once the fees have been taken out, about £130,000, which uh, we raised 142 in 30 days, which was just an extraordinary adventure. Um, but that's given us enough money to produce a pre-planning report, which we're in the process of doing now, which will tighten up a lot of the engineering aspects, the water quality aspects, and uh, a particular site. So there's a lot of consultant fees tied up into that, obviously. Yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. And building on the river is um, considerably more complicated than yeah. building on, on even the worst possible site. It's it, contingencies and uh, um, environmental um, and all the licenses you require so we're wading through that at the moment um and um we we when, when we started off on the, the the kickstarter uh matt the the strategist from the ad agency introduced us to um a commercial manager who um again was a really another interesting addition to the team who i, I don't think well certainly not in my my lifetime I, architects have been involved in so this guy has a background in procuring um sponsorship for the olympic sites okay so he signed up nike for a kind of handball arena or whatever it was but he pulled that deal together um and the, those deals were structured around the fact that those arenas weren't going to be covered in branding but the the sponsor would get access to the um arena for marketing reasons so we're we're kind of going down that route which um again i would never have dreamt up i yeah. I, I, I yeah as i said i would just be knocking on entrepreneur's door going oh fancy giving us 11 million for this <laughs> so we've gone we've gone down that route which has opened up doors which um that in in parallel with the kickstarter publicity has opened doors which we would never uh, have had a chance to to open um 
I, I, sadly at the moment I can't tell you who we're talking to because we're, we're in oh. interesting conversations <laughs> with why well, I was uh, thinking so many sports brands would love to kind of brand well, we're, we're talking to a, a sports brand and, and a Wiggle Nike and, Adidas <laughs> <laughs> and a London developer who um, uh, yeah so it's kind of it's interesting I mean we, we set it up as a CIC now so we're separate from Studio Octopus that's it what does the CIC stands for I can never remember how Community, Community Interest Community. Company Community yeah, so it, it, it's it, therefore we've separated it from Studio Octopi um, completely. Studio Octopi are merely the architects mm. for the Thames Bath CIC, um, which is we did that before the Kickstarter campaign just to make sure that there was complete clarity between the two. Um, so, so, go, so we, this is what one of the big questions mm. I want to ask you is why, why separate? Because obviously I started following Thames Bath yeah. before I knew that you were the architects, and then I kind of it was good. Yeah, so I, you know, I did my research, I went back. But, uh, but this is like, the Thames Bath is still you though, isn't it? It's Baths. Baths, plural. sorry, yes. Because there's going to be more than one. Mm. <laughs> Baths. So. Yeah. And uh, so I think, what, what I know Thames Bath is still you, Baths, mm. still you guys. But what, why not brand it like uh, um, Octopi Baths? Purely or? because we want, um, this is, this is uh, a project for the community. Mm. Uh, not a project um, from a private practice. Okay. Um, we wanted full transparency in terms of where that funding goes. So all the Kickstarter money has gone to the Thames Bar CIC. CICs operate under certain regulations um, and we will be publishing full accounts for uh, all our expenditure. So, um, so you did you give a breakdown of everything? Yeah, yeah. so mm. we still have to do a, a return, but we will do, be, be doing a full return. Um, and um, and then as money comes in, we can we can show exactly where it goes um, and how it how it gets spent effectively, because ultimately we want this to be a project for the community. It's mm. not about it's not another London Eye. The poor London Eye always bring it into the conversation, but it's not going to be a, a, um, a project which, uh, like Mark Sparfield, made a bit of money from the London Eye. Um, we hope to make a, a little bit of money from it over over time, but. Um, it's not about generating huge dividends mm. um, and the dividends from a CIC are capped anyway so um, as directors of the Thames Baths we are running a social enterprise which has restrictions to it um, and actually it's about creating a whole series of baths around the river yeah that's what I'm saying um, so is, it, is it a permanent fi- not a permanent but as in the location the first one it'll stay there and then you, you're going to multiply them or you'll move that one along no we'll we, we, someone else suggested that the other day that we just moved it along the river I make it um, sound so simple it just float it down the river it's I, not quite simple it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're talking to someone else about doing, doing one which actually moves but I, I think yeah, it's complicated enough fill it, filling a, a floating structure with water and then putting it in water I mean most people will tell you that's not a great thing to yeah. do because that's usually what happens that things sink yeah so we are slightly um defying um common sense and engineering principles in filling a, a metal structure full of water and then putting it in a busy waterway so they will be permanent um structures They've, they don't touch the bottom mm. so they have piles it's very very similar technology to the to the, the clipper station piers um I think what's different about this is that it has water in it, obviously, but we are taking in Thames water, filtering, filtering it, it yeah, that's the key, around the reed beds, so naturally filtered um, pool water, mm. and then it goes into the pools crystal clear. It's a closed system, so the, the, the water is filtered continuously. Um, last week we were in um, Denmark and Sweden um, swimming in 
natural pools. Wow. Um, so a, a school pool, which had been com- converted from a chlorine pool to a, to a natural pool. Um, and you can see all the, all the filtering process happening um, at the back of the sort of uh, the back of the site. Um, and then uh, a floating pool fil- naturally filtered again through um, gravel beds in Gothenburg. So the nice. technology is there. It's happening in Europe. For some reason, it's not happening in the UK. Mm. Probably yeah. because we're all so used to, you know, particularly in London, it's like, oh, it's a busy waterway, it's poisoned waterway. Yeah. You know, we we just look over it or walk walk over the bridge. Mm. We don't want to go down the shoreline. I'm a hundred with you because when I did when I was looking at it, actually the the kind of fifty meter perimeter on most of the sides are never touched and never used. They're mm. just kind of because obviously the water moves down. But mm. we went down to the beach like a month ago in the middle of summer. You know, yeah. it goes away and it yeah. was so nice. I yeah, guess yeah. it's like a totally different view of the city. Yeah. You know, you're actually underneath it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. I mean, exactly the, the perspective from being on on the beach or or indeed on, on our um, floating pontoons mm. um, is something I'm I'm particularly excited about. Obviously, looking forward to swimming there, but actually just looking back at the city from yeah. from the waterline yeah. um, is, what is was, bizarre. What was the project? There was a kind of failed floating set of like walkways and theatres yeah. but it was so heavily involved with developers who just wanted to make money out of yeah. it was my understanding yeah. that people yeah. were just like it's just a money making venture was I that think in it was the Gensler that was Gensler it, yeah. scheme which was a, a sort of mile long park mm. um, yeah, very much in the back of our mind um, and um, I think you know the scale of ours about 80 metres long is a con- considerably different um, yeah. beast than um, a mile long um uh, park full of shops and yeah, cinemas and a road on the river basically yeah yeah and i think um, ours is very much about linking back to the um to the river walk and, and trying to extend the river walk i mean ultimately um another way it all came about was just looking at the public space along the riverfront mm. and you know we read about it all the time the, the developers encroaching on the waterfront yeah. reducing the the um the river walk privatizing the river walking places controlling when people can walk along there mm. despite it being public realm yeah slowly all being privatized um so we we um continually look at this as as an extension to that and i think that that's why what was lovely about we always return to the original concept image is that really was an extension of the foreshore yeah um, well, it's almost invisible. You've just got a like, kind of perimeter of reeds. It's, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel like much of an intrusion on the river. If anything, it's creating a safe environment, just yeah, like yeah. a paddling pool, isn't it? Well, the, the, exactly. I mean, the other th- the other thing which is, is just still bemuses me is that there's nothing grows in the central London section of the of the Thames. And no one says why is there nothing growing here, and it only sort of adds fuel to the to the theory that this is a poisonous waterway. In mm. fact, the reason why nothing grows there is because we've built out the embankments we've built so many bridges across the thames that the water now doesn't have a foreshore it just rushes along on the mm-hmm. north coast where we north side where we've built out all these um, embankments so there's no there's no chance of anything growing there's nothing you can get hold of anything it yeah. moves so quickly there um so the introduction of, of the reeds and rushes was was really exciting and then speaking with our landscape and um, architects they're like well of course it'll grow if you give it yeah something to <laughs> to grab hold yeah. of um, what, what's the one in um What's the one in New York? It's like a shape, like a plus. Yeah, plus pools. And again, yeah, I should yeah. probably remember. Yeah, that. well, well advertised plus yeah, pools. Yeah. But is that is that that's kind of that's another similar? It's a crowdsourced Kickstarter one. Yeah, they they uh, were great inspiration for us. They've been going for for five years. Um, they've done two Kickstarter campaigns, raised about uh, can't remember what it is now, 
quarter of a million, I think, through Kickstarter. So a little bit more than we have. Um, and um, they are, it's on the same principles. Theirs doesn't have um, the reeds and rushes. Mm. They're, they're filtering it through other means. Um, I, yeah, I went to see them about a year ago. Oh, really? They really, yeah, great guys. Um, and, and I think we, we have a, um, a shared interest in what we're doing. Um, and ultimately, what I'd love to do is set up a global swimming club where um, lofty ambitions, all, I like it. Yeah, all these natural pools around the world are affiliated and um, you can become a member of yeah. this global natural swimming club and then you know when you're in London you can swim in the Thames Bath when you're in New York you swim in Plus Pools when you're in That's Gothenburg awesome, you swim in the Gothenburg Pool uh, and all the others um, it's really cool so you know King's Cross of course is the other one which is is about as similar to oh yeah yeah of course yeah. So the, what, what's yeah. that one again that's like a, that's like a not that's not, not a swimming pool though is it that's like a very so small it's an pool. art project art project there you go, which yeah. starts off uh, as but then the art project is about participation <coughs> and, and, and people actively engaging with it um, but it has the same principles it is filtered mm. uh, tap water rainwater, naturally filtered um, in a pond effectively yeah. so it, it's a it's a swimmable pond um but the principles are, are very much the same. Some some background sneezing. Bless you. Uh, yeah. um, and, you know, again, it's a huge influence on, on us and the sort of temporary nature of it, I kind of like. Yeah. I hope it's going to be around a lot longer. Um, I think I, I prefer projects that are temporary in nature, mm. but then people like them so much they kind of stay. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah obviously the uh, London Eye is a great example, yeah. but probably a bit more expensive. But um, yeah. But it's... I like the fact it would never have been allowed as a permanent structure, mm. but as a temporary one, people like it so much it's kind That's of right. stayed. Yeah, yeah. So that would be, but I kind of wanted to ask about crowdsourcing because yeah. when you put it on, mm-hmm. you were like, okay, so you do your pitch, right? You do your video. Yeah. I want to, I want to find out the inner working see because I, yeah. I, I love the idea that you're kind of, well, you yep. should do this for your play studio. I really cool? want to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is why I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but you put your video out there, you put it on, and it's got no money currently. Yeah. And every day you're like, it's like putting a status on Facebook. I wonder if anyone's liked it. <laughs> did, did, you, did you have that feeling of, it's only at three grand, I mean, 125. I know um, it's only been a day, but... Or did but you to be ha- honest, what, what happens is, is um, you, the, the, the run-up to launching it um, for us was, I don't know, yeah, four months or something. I did a talk the other day at the V&A with, with two other UK-based kickstarting campaigns, both... Who, uh, one who raised 150 and one who raised a million for a, a, a computer kit, Carno, I think it's called. Wow. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, we wrote all the copy within a month. And I was like, God, gee, where did we go wrong there? We spent about four months around this table laboring over um, writing the copy for it. Oh, really? Yeah. Matt, our strategist, was brilliant at writing it. And there's, this, there's almost like a sort of Kickstarter language one has to write it in. Um, and I think architects are... Uh, not great at doing that making the text accessible so we were going back and forth with inaccessible text from james and i being (laughs) being translated into into kickstarter language by matt um so we had a lot of time in the run-up to the campaign and in that run-up to the campaign we were also making sure that all our friends family nearest and dearest colleagues knew about it mm. and that it was going to happen so you're basically already prodding people for money without saying here it is we had a lot of people emailing us going apparently you're going to do a campaign that was partly due to that we kept putting it back month after month <laughs> which might have been a good tactic in hindsight because people yeah. were getting ready for it 
Um, and then, uh, as you say, we, we launch it. And um, very kindly, the people at Kickstarter always put on a pound or a, a small uh, bit straight away. So immediately it gets off naught, which is nice. Yes. Um, but then the, 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 the model is basically that it, it takes off very quickly because there's a great buzz about it. And yeah. You've done all this work up front. So the, for the first week, we put on... Um, I can't remember what we did now. So, um, 10 grand or something in the first week. And we were like, oh my God, we are flying. This is brilliant. <laughs> and you look at the graph and it goes, you know, nearly straight up. And we're like, incredible. And then you hit weeks two and three where it's like, um, you know, a blue run to use a skiing analogy. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh my God, we just need a bit more. Yeah. Because this is really flatlining or, or just not quite flatlining. So you trickle through those two or three Um and we did a an event on week three. Uh, it was literally just after the election. But the election unfortunately clashed with our week three when we wanted to do it. So we had Bloody to push politics, it honestly. right to the end of week three before week four. So we had 10 days left of the campaign. We had a, an event at the Royal Academy. The Royal Academy very kindly gave us their um, Burlington Gardens front wow. reception. Um, and we launched the two images behind you, the one at um, South Bank and the one at City Hall. Oh, I haven't seen those. I've not seen that. The one with Tower Bridge in the background and the Houses of Parliament and London Eye. Um, as two other sites we had um, been working on. So throughout the campaign, not only was I working 24-7, um, circulating stuff on social media and yeah. making calls and making sure we got it in the right front of the right people, we were also producing these images. So we, we had an event to launch these images, we um, contacted all the press, told them about it, sent out a, a press release with the images, embargoed until 7pm on whatever day it was. And I remember sending it out at five o'clock uh, before the event saying this is embargoed until, actually it wasn't seven, it was embargoed until 10. So we got through the thing before it came out, mm. thinking those images were going to hit. It was going to be mad. The last 10 days was just going to be a, um, you know, just a gentle surf in. We're just going to raise <laughs> hundreds and thousands of pounds. And the responses came through literally by return of email going, I don't know why we would, why would we publish these images and you're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign. There's no proof that you're going to make it. What We're not just going to publicize this for you. What's the story? And I was like, the story is we're 10 days away from doing it. Yeah. Like, no, you're 10 days away from possibly doing it. You haven't done it. You're like, well, that's one outcome. But yeah, the outcome yeah. I'm focusing on is like, success. come back to us when you've done it. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> So that terrible moment where you're shaking your head going, no, no, this can't be happening. This is not how you this know, works. No, this is not how it's done. You're supposed to take those images and put them out and they go around the world and we make... <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. So we literally got it onto two blogs after about three or four days. Nothing. So the Evening Standard wouldn't run it. And I, I, looking back, I completely understand. There wasn't a story. The story was we were in a Kickstarter campaign. But yeah, big deal. Loads of people go into a Kickstarter yeah. ca campaign. 40% of them are successful. So oh, you know, what a, it's like not kick to the gut there. You're so like, that oh. was a, that was massive. That was a real blow, and we were like, "Oh my god, are we going to do it?" But obviously, in week four, um, as they did warn us, week four it suddenly becomes like week one, and things would look really? like, doof, doof, doof. and so all the people who'd been interested but not doing anything suddenly put their money in, and uh, we passed the hundred twenty-five thousand, which was our target, with four days to spare. Was that a bit of a celebration moment? You're like, yes, 125. It was. It was actually that was almost better than than finishing on 142,000 uh, because it was like, what a relief. What um, happens if you hit 124? Like, do you they get any money? 
So all the money, so it's held in a holding account, and when it tips over, that you get it yeah. all. But uh, until then, it all goes back to the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <sighs> they don't. Yeah, they don't. Um, tense. They, yeah. So it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was really, really tense. And we had we had lots of contingency plans for if we got to 124, and we need to put in money. So it was like we're all going to put in money, but then obviously with the CIC rules, how are we going to get the money out again? You know. If, oh, yeah. if, if it, and we were like, we and the accountant was like, you're not going to get it out again without it looking like you've put money in and then you're taking it out so it's going to look dubious yeah and, yeah and, and, and you're like but and no that, it's just to get it over the uh-huh. yeah and in a way that's half the beauty of kickstarter that it it relies on lots and lots of people putting in small amounts yeah because we had another battle with um kickstarter about the uh, top top pledge they will only accept a maximum pledge of five grand and we were like well this is a project needs to raise 125,000 plus it needs to raise 11 million eventually yeah. but we're you know we need we we like to think we could get big yeah big pockets of money dropped in by people who were really interested and they're like nah nah you have to do it under the five grand thing it, it's it stops potential money laundering keeps it a community project all about building a community. yeah so we had whatever it is 12 1200 1300 people investing as opposed to you know a handful putting yeah. in 20 grand um which again i, I kind of buy into where they're going with it but it's hard when it comes to architecture and civic projects because actually um, uh, the the sums being dealt with are much smaller yeah well that's one of the things I like about the kickstart campaign is that I feel like you're getting much more of an idea of what goes on in the world of architecture Mm. like as a, as a layman who doesn't know anything about it, all you see is nothing and then a really glossy set of images and yeah, yeah. and then we're surprised why clients are like, well, why am I paying you so much? You're like, why is it taking so long? You're yeah, like, well, yeah. we have to design stuff. So <laughs> I think, so what? So now you've got your 125, well, well over now your target. Yeah. What's what's the next stages then? You- so we're doing this, this pre-planning report, um, which we'll be, um, we'll be doing for the next probably couple of months. We're looking at... Um, with our marine engineers about how the thing's going to float uh, you're like you keep filling it with water yeah it keeps sinking I don't understand <laughs> um, so we're doing that and then actually the, the, the almost the more complex bit is actually how we get the water filtering working mm. um, I guess it's well, a nice idea but difficult to prove isn't it like yeah I mean we know how it works so the, the, the technology is all there it, it, it actually the water filtering actually affects the um, engineering in, in ways which we hadn't thought about before mm. Um, in terms of you're on a you're on a busy waterway, which moves around, and you've got a big body of water, which is moving around, but then it's also in an unstable environment. And then we've got salt water and fresh water, just kind of just um, to confuse things. You, yeah, I mean you have, yeah, I mean that's, that's, but as I understand it, that that doesn't necessarily impact the one in Gothenburg Harbour. Tasted very nice, actually. It tasted like you know Ribena. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't think that's that's the issue. It, it, it's just about a body of water in, yeah. a, in an unstable environment, and what happens. You know, as a kid, you used to fill up vessels in the bath, yeah. and then when you you know move the water, the thing tips over. Um, so oh, yeah. We're trying to avoid that. I guess as well that when you get some of the bigger boats that come down, some of the Thames clippers yeah. that absolutely yeah. hammer along there. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. If, does the clipper get yeah, clipper goes up? They do. They do. Yeah. I mean, we're there's you know without getting too complex, but there's a there's a navigation zone, and then there's a 15 meter stretch either side of the navigation mm-hmm. zone, which is, a, is a, you have to keep out of as well. So, in a lot of the the sites we've been looking at. Um, what we're proposing only, only just about fits, so that it's in a, in, a, in the zone which is not um, directly impacted by the big yeah. boats. Um, 
but there is still the issue of the wash you're right and is there once you've got one design you're happy with one design as in the first one it, does that then lead on to kind of repeat designs and different locations well yeah people? I mean it's the, the one design it, 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 um, the whole aspect of being um, founders architects clients is um, perilously exciting um, because we are um, designing it um, but we're also the client so we need to know when we've hit the mark mm. um, not over design it not under design it um, get it in on budget you know we're doing all of this stuff and this is kind of um, we're beginning to realize why clients get irritated with architects because <laughs> um, we asked someone the other day for a uh, to, to, to review their fee proposal for X and Y and um, they said sure we will review it and I said you know we are a CIC it's not Studio Occupy it's Thames Bath it's charity blah 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 so they reviewed it which just meant reshuffling the fee proposal and it all added up to the same so when we've gone through the figures again it's like ah oh, so actually there's no change in the fee at all you've just reshuffled the structure of it and I was like yeah and we tried not to be angry because we were just thinking well, actually how many times have we done that in our life like yeah. clients go well actually I'm not so sure about your fee proposal can you can you reconsider it and you do yeah. and you just move everything around and in the end they go well actually all you're saying <laughs> is i pay the same amount but a different different point it must be so funny to see it so, from the flip side so right? it is it is and, it, and it's um yeah and um, you know we're learning a lot from it it's not it's not easy yeah well um, i mean it's, it's kind of easy a, being client it's not easy new, being architect there's very little to go on as uh, like because your first image the very first one is a very kind of subtle it's almost like a floating reed bed mm. with people swimming but then the image i'm looking at behind this one has got like well, this looks amazing you've got a bit of diving boards it's got a platform to sit mm. on it looks more like you could spend an afternoon in the yeah. sun there and I guess suddenly if you just increase the length of them you're making a wonderful floating pier yeah, it? yeah. so it's kind of like yeah. where do you it's kind of scalable in that sense it, it is it? scalable um, I mean a central London is is, is pretty full yeah. Um, so finding the sites, um, and it's about finding the right depth of water oh yeah of course uh, low it's... tide um, the space um, you know in terms of uh, to actually fit this structure in here um, is it is actually quite hard. Um, it's not like, oh, we'll have a whole network and they'll all be stuck together and it'll yeah. be an amazing, well, almost Gensler-esque structure. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, not, um, it's not that case at all, sadly. Um, but actually, I, I kind of like the fact that they will be, you know, 80 meters is a big structure yeah um but then i think if we you know yeah that is huge actually yeah, yeah. It, it, you know if we if we do manage to get one at um south bank and another one at city hall or uh, temple I, I really like the fact that they're all kind of within walking distance of each other yeah um and um herbert morrison once said about lidos in, in london in, in the 30s he said no one should be more than a mile away from a local a lido um and, and london should be a city of lidos so we're we're kind of living in that little yeah. dream world as well. That actually, maybe no one, everyone should be within walking distance of of, of one of these on the river. Yeah. Um, and if if one is full, then you just walk to the next one. Yeah. That's a really um, nice idea, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's that's our vision anyway. Yeah. Um, I think as well, it must be interesting to do a concept scheme. Yeah. Kind of very similar to a uni project, and yeah. it's kind of like a uni. They just gone, yeah, okay, build it. And you're like. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Or how much will it cost? You're like, I, I. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh crap! I've gone for concept yeah, scheme yeah, to it. Yeah. I need to do a fully realised yeah, project. Yeah. Must have been that again. You, like you said, how on the other yeah, head, right? You're yeah. like, oh, I've got to, how, how do I build it? How do I program it? Who, who designed such a crazy thing? Like I know. And I think yeah, for all projects, one does a little bit of role playing to try and understand what the client's coming from, whatever. But here, we actually are client. So a lot of the time, James will be architect. I'll be client. Yeah. 
and it's not like we're playing that game we are actually that game yeah um and and um i, I think that that's that is going to influence our work and where we go from here yeah um and it's interesting and and, and you know the, the the thames bath has had a, a lot of influence and it, it's feeding back into our proposals for peckham but it's also feeding into um other inquiries we've had from around the world as well wow. for floating baths natural baths um so the technology we're developing is almost becomes a product i mean it's kind of you know kickstarter it wasn't necessarily about a product yeah but actually we're almost becoming to a product which could be put into um rivers around the world so good though, unlocking it? access yeah. to these rivers which you know leads is a good example yeah. where the canals and waterways there are totally inaccessible post-industrial kind of forgotten occasionally a barge goes past but what happens if you unlock them by putting this in and then there's a program of cleaning it up i mean it's happening in denmark it's kind of not i'm not yeah i've not come up with an amazing idea which is going to change the world but it it's for some reason it's not happening in the uk and it's not happening in a lot of other cities around the world it is amazing because i live in north london there's like a, a waterway and i thought it was a canal but it wasn't it was just to get fresh water from i can't remember where but it's right. into the center into stoke newington so this is like really shallow yeah. like it's almost a, only a meter deep even less and it just runs all the way along from north north london all the way into stoke oh, newington and uh but it's all got fences around it and well uh, yeah it's just like just grass next to it but yeah you yeah. can walk down it so I walk my dog next to it and it's like I was thinking yeah it'd be amazing but it, yeah I think uh, it's it's an interesting way for you to get loads of different projects all around the world yeah, potentially yeah. isn't it yeah yeah no it is and it's it's um, uh, it's, it's huge I mean it is it, at the moment we are running Studio Octopi and this startup yeah. called Thames Bath and um, it's really hard work yeah. and, and you know and we, we're supposed to be teaching at the um, LSA the London School of Architecture yeah. um, which we really want to do because we think we you know we're doing something which not everyone's doing um, but the time it's eating yeah. into everything is, is extraordinary so um, uh, you know so things, things are I don't know, I say suffering it's yeah. not suffering for it but it's hard work and it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't stop when, at six o'clock Definitely. Well, I mean, we've gone way over the hour mark, so I will uh, oh, I'll wrap this up now. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I better uh, get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but as like a, as a last question, then, so I saw your you popped up on Dizine as like Studio Octopi and Kickstarter mm. campaigns and that mm. whole thing. It's kind of you're becoming more known for that style of thing. And do you, do you think that's kind of where the future of getting projects in, or do you think it's kind of it works for smaller projects? But uh, no, I think I think I think it is the future. I think I think there's there's a long way to go. I think. Um, you know, raising serious funds for architecture and civic projects mm. through those platforms is possible. But um, you know, the the mere fact of sitting on a platform at the VNA with, with with this guy Alex from from Carno Computers or you know Kit Computers, and mm. he went for one hundred and fifty thousand, got a million. Um, you know, <laughs> hell. yeah, and we, and we went for one hundred twenty five and got one hundred forty two. Kind of shows, you know. The, the, the disparity between the mm. two approaches and I think um, you know we're quite keen to work with Kickstarter to try and understand how how we can make that better mm. um, Spacehive is another uh, company in, in the UK doing crowdfunding who have got a, a different model going but that's also kind well, of successful Spacehive, they? yeah um, so there, there's a various they, they are architecture and, and urban design crowdfunding platform um, and I think they they're, they're successful um, but you're still talking 
relatively small sums of money yeah. given what it takes to actually build a floating pool or a building yeah um and i think there's there's probably still a bit, bit more play in the system to be done but you know i God, i mean I would, I would do this again I, I still need a few more months off from the stress <laughs> of it all but it, it raised our profile if if only yeah we got 142 which was amazing 125 would have been amazing frankly you know 50 grand would have been yeah. amazing we got that but actually key to it all is we've we've got a community of people who we've we've now got you know whatever it is 1500 people on our newsletter mm. um, which is growing all the time so we have a community who we have to answer to which is fine it's a delight to answer them but we can also use them to to develop ideas yeah. different sites different features on on the bars so we're looking at all sorts of things we've got a kiosk and a cafe on on the latest versions um and um it raised our profile kickstarter i mean that that we, we we're talking to people now who we just just wouldn't have been able to get to the door you know you know small yeah. practice from south london why is x and y going to open the door to you but they are because they've heard about it through kickstarter yeah it's been um, so good though so um I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it, 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 it cannot be underestimated, though. The, the amount of work involved in doing it yeah. was astonishing. Um, uh, and, yeah, so if you go into it thinking it's free money, <laughs> don't. Oh, uh, damn it. Sorry to dash all your hopes. So we'll end this. When, uh, when, if everything goes to plan, yep. when is the first one going to be built? Summer 2017. Wow, solid answer. All right, summer 2017. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. Um, we think it's achievable, um, but we, you know, I'm not going to shy away from the fact we need spart- partners and sponsors to come forward. Mm. We need to get it into planning as soon as possible, and then um, we need to get it built. But getting it built is, frankly, is going to be the easy bit of it. We're, we're in the hard bit now yeah. in in getting it through planning or getting it up to planning and then through planning. Um, so, um, but you know, I, I, I generally think. We can do it. I mean, a year ago I was like, well, maybe fifty-fifty. Now I think, you know, it's just a matter of time. So also, I, I bet you just must talk about it. Obviously, we're talking about it, but it's like, as architecture goes, it's a very interesting subject yeah, yeah, to talk about, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah, and I think actually one of the broad appeals of it is it's not only interesting for architects. In fact, I have <laughs> yeah. more conversations with non-architects about it. Yeah, um, because of um, you know health and well-being, public space in the city. Yeah. Swimming. I mean, all the people I've got such a f- swimmer. F- people sw- following me to do with swimming, and I've had so much input from <laughs> so many different people. Um, so uh, it has broad appeal. It ticks so many boxes. You know, we want to k- get kids from Southwark swimming there again. You know, their great grandfathers used to learn to swim off the steps at um, Temple. So imagine if they could learn to swim again in in a heated natural pool uh, on the Thames. I mean, it's kind of like mind blowing. These guys don't have swimming pools. They probably don't have access to a pool um, and yet we could offer um, a community pool in the most extraordinary position yeah yeah literally one of the best positions ever yeah Um, so that's that's our ambition amazing thank you so much that was really good Thanks. thanks Ben there you go that was episode number nine of the create more podcast with Chris Romilly um yeah, so I was, I was again. I, I was like listening back to the whole podcast and uh, and just kind of reassess what we talked about and stuff because uh, you know it happened so quickly and uh, you're kind of in the thick of it and then to go back and it's kind of this is one of the ones I was most excited about. Um, kind of getting booked was 
because when I very, very st- first started the podcast, uh, the kind of three ones that I was really keen on getting um, were Assemble Studios, uh, Alistair Parvin from WikiHouse, and also Chris Remily from Studio Octopi. Um, they were the ones, you know, before this had even really hatched into a plan, um, they were the ones who, you know, I was genuinely kind of uh, really excited about the idea of interviewing. That wasn't that's not to say the others weren't, weren't amazing. I mean, I had some incredible people, but I think they were the they were the, the original trio that I thought, man, if I can get these three, how cool would that be to sit down and talk with them? And that's um, uh, that's just listening back. It was it was it was all the questions that you know who doesn't want to ask these type of questions. This is why I think um, I've had so many people. I mean, I bore my friends to tears who have been with me when I've discussed the podcast and we go into a new social situation and someone new asked me about the podcast and I feel sorry for my friends that have heard me tell the story a lot but so many people want to ask me questions about the podcast in the exact same way that I want to ask questions to people who I'm genuinely interested in so this was one of the ones where I got to ask every question like well, why why do you call it Studio Octopi why not you know why not initials why you know, why this project, why that project? How, what would it feel like to get your first staff member? Like, it must be really cool doing a Kickstarter. You know, every question that that anyone wants to ask. I mean, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm unusual in that respect that I just, I want to know, I want to know about people. I want to find out stuff. And I think maybe uh, I don't necessarily know why until I've got the answer. But um, yeah, I hope you enjoy kind of the, the process that I go through because genuinely um, I do all my research uh, before and you know I have like a page but I don't really have questions they're just um, things that I really want to know more about and I've never I've literally never written down a question because I just have something that says Thames Bath and then another one saying Kickstarter another one saying crowdsourcing another one saying social media and I have those in the background you know just on the off chance that you know I can't think of something to say I mean that's not happened yet but I like to have that kind of buffer and um, and you know it, all the people I've interviewed have just been really fun to interview. I mean, they've they've genuinely been very engaging and easy to talk to. And I think, uh, you know, I think most people who say yes to the podcast just are naturally like that anyway. I've not really had anyone that's been, or well, no one's been like against it or, or God forbid, boring to talk to. So um, yeah, it was really really good fun. And um, I, it's just again, it was great to go into someone else's studio. The last two podcasts that I've done, uh, the last three, the Ken Shuttleworth, Alistair Parvin and the Sue Butcher one have all been in the make studio in uh, in the little soundproof room and uh, part of the fun is going to other people's studios so you know you get a real insight into how other people work and you know the the, the kind of running theme and the, the kind of how these people are successful and do the things they do and uh, you just realise they just work really really hard. Um, yeah, sure, they're naturally talented and quite skilled. But um, generally, the theme that I've seen everyone is uh, they're just kind of really driven, work really hard, uh, and if you do, if you work hard at anything, you know you'll get stuff back. So yeah, I'm kind of I'm just thinking ahead about the next podcast, which is on I'm recording it on Tuesday, and it'll go out next week or the no, it'll go the weekend after. But it's with. Um, uh, Victoria Thornton from Open City, uh, who's now stepped down from Open City or Open House and uh, is kind of 
can't remember what it's called now. It's called like Open World, where she's going to do Open City in lots of cities around the world. So I can't wait to sit down with her and chat. Again, I just like, I like the whole idea of the way she does stuff. So hopefully that goes ahead next week. If not, it'll be the weekend after. So um, yeah, that will be the last in the series. So I I really, really hope you've enjoyed these. Um, And uh, what I'm going to do is just for the people who are slightly more intrigued um, about how I do this. So, I, you know, there's not going to be many, but there will be a few who uh, who want to know a bit more. And part of the whole appeal of this podcast was to, it's called a behind-the-scenes look at the creative industry. Well, um, I'm going to do like a like a, a bonus disc. So a bonus uh, DVD, a bonus DVD. How old school am I? Um, but so the, the I do like a bonus extra podcast, which will just be for people who want to know a bit more about why and how and exactly all the audio equipment that I use, how I set it up, what software do I use, how do I format it. It's it's a real nerd alert one, only for people who are curious, because I personally don't see anything hard about starting a podcast, and it's been amazing to do it. So I'll quit rambling again. But um, for those of you who do want to find out more, after the Victoria Thornton one, there will be like a, like a bonus features one. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. And please tweet me at Played Studio if you want to find out anything more or talk to me. Thank you. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.